probably more importantly for our church is that we've been connected with Slavic Gospel Association forever. In, in many respects, um, Bob Provost, the president of Slavic Gospel Emeritus now, um, he was the one who really helped our church survive at a critical time even before I came. And uh, I, I just want to um, say we have a long-term relationship with them. They've done a great work uh, in both Russia, the former Soviet Union. And now we have supported for over 20 years or so uh, Eric Mock, uh, who's uh, uh, <laughs> vice president. I wanted to just say bigwig, but anyways, uh, um, he's very connected over there and he's been updated. All that to say this, all that to say this. Uh, what matters in a city and a town are, are the people and the churches. Governments come and go. And I'm beginning to believe that every government is just wicked, evil, selfish, and uh, narcissistic, and, um, you know, wanting to expand their borders, but also wanting to uh, control people and all that. Anyways, all, all that to say, in Kiev, but also other parts of Ukraine and the borders and all, all that area, um, it's people that are being affected. It's people. And there are churches that God has raised up for this time and this place uh, that are going about helping people, but more importantly, sharing the gospel with them even now. Uh, I read some reports, um, pastors who have uh, churches right around Kiev that had... Uh, <laughs> I got all kinds of crazy thoughts going on in my head. I want to know how many I want to share with you. Uh, but they had a, a parking structure, an underground parking structure that they were basically taking cover in, a refuge, and they're inviting the neighborhood to come with them. And so they have opportunity to share the gospel. Um, we have some land right out there. Maybe we should put a basement and something like that. Anyways, um, got ideas, thoughts. Uh, um, I want to encourage you about this. If God would prompt your heart and he's blessed you in such a way where you can, um, I, I, would, I would donate. I would give money. Uh, you can't go there today. You can't get there from here, right? You know, it would take a month and a half for, for us to get from here to Kiev right now. Um, but we can donate to Slavic Gospel. And I would say I would only donate to Slavic Gospel. I would not donate to anybody else. Um, and you say, well, why? Do you not trust them? Yes, that's true. I do not trust other organizations. And it's not that they're not good, but I don't know that they're good. And I don't know that that money will actually get to people. I don't know what they're involved in. I don't know, you know, if they're just, anyways. So Slavic Gospel, you can go to their website. Uh, for those of you who old, are older and you don't go on the internet, that's fine. It's probably better for you. We should all be there with you. Um, if you want to make a check out to the church, we'll make sure it gets to Slavic Gospel. And that's the easiest way that they can get funds to pastors they're already working with, they're already connected with, um, and people that we trust. We support um, really three or four different um, maybe five, now that I'm thinking about it, five different missionaries, but also uh, groups that are connected to Slavic gospel that do work in the country that it gets to real people. And uh, I want to tell you, it doesn't really matter who's right and wrong. 
uh, it matters that uh, families and kids and grandmas and everyone's suffering because of um, the wickedness of men. So I'll leave it there. Let me pray for Ukraine right now. God, we thank you uh, that we, um, we are people who uh, have, have a Savior, um, that you loved us so much that you sent your son and that, so that we could have a relationship with you, eternal relationship, that even though the wars and rumors of wars are, are fear, cause us fear, that we are, are people that can trust in you and we realize that you are in control all the time that you can be trusted and that we should continue on with your work as you give us days down here and then we long and re, uh, just want so badly to be with you forever in eternity and uh, perfection. God, thank you for what you're doing. We ask that you would strengthen the churches over in the Ukraine. Uh, I pray for peace. Um, I realize that uh, peace with evil uh, people, evil governments, uh, is hard to find, but God, we know that you can do all things, and so we ask for peace, and we ask that you would thwart the plans of evil men, uh, that you would protect your church and uh, cause your church to be strong in the midst of suffering. God, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, yeah, so we'll try to stay tuned, uh, obviously difficult times. Uh, what does the judge think about the life you're living? Uh, I asked that question and, and I realized that m- many of us think about a lot of different people that we wonder what they think about the life that we're living. Uh, kids, I, I think about you and uh, it's important and God intended it, but a lot of times you wonder while you're doing something bad, what will happen when my mom or dad catch me doing this, what will they think of this? What will they think of me? Uh, some of you have a tender heart, and you know this, to see the the displeasure on the face of your mom is more than you can bear. Others of you are cold and calloused, and you don't care uh, what your mom thinks. Bad for you. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about uh, your soul in the judgment of the Lord your soul in the judgment of the Lord. And this passage, I don't want to oversell it, but I really think it deals with these problems that we have. The, first of all, I'm just going to list some problems here that really are helpful in this passage you can look for. The, the first one is the problem of spiritual privilege. Many of us, uh, in, in this passage, it's the Jews, but many of us Think of our spiritual heritage that comes from our parents or our time served in the church. The time served, some of you correctional officers, you got, you got that reference, right? You, I, I did my time. Um, the problem of spiritual privilege, and you, you connect that with, I'm special to God, so he won't judge me in respect to what I have done or what I believe. That's a problem when we think that way. And this morning, as we look to God's word, he's going to deal with and address, and in the weeks to come as well, the problem of spiritual privilege. There's also a problem of spiritual knowledge, uh, and maybe you don't say it this way, maybe you're more eloquent, but you say on your mind, I, I know a bunch of stuff, I know a bunch of stuff about the gospel and the Bible, I know a bunch of stuff, 
So I must be right with God because I know a bunch of stuff. I'm really good at Bible trivia. It's a problem, and the Lord's going to deal with that in this passage. There's also a problem of faith without works. That comes from the book of James, but uh, you, you think about this, and, and many people struggle with this. They, they say, I believe in Jesus. I, I've trusted in Jesus. You just can't tell. You just can't tell. Like when you look at my life, you'd never know that God has uh, changed my soul and that I believe in him, uh, but I do. You just can't tell. You just can't tell. There's a problem of faith without works. It's going to be addressed in this passage. Maybe, maybe also dealing with the problem of selfish living. Uh, many of us, uh, as we struggle in this life, we make decisions or we prioritize by saying this. I just need to take care of myself. For those of you who have been to college, I think I even heard about this in high school, but they spent more time on it in college, in Psychology 101 at Santa Barbara City College. If any of you have been there, the Mighty Vaqueros. Um, I learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it was a lot of them. It was, it was God to them. It was the scriptures. And you walk through it. You need your basic needs taken care of. And then you need this and relationship. And, and once these things are taken care of, then you can do other things. So take care of yourself first. First. There's a problem of selfish living. My needs haven't been met, so I can't do anything else. And what is my life all about? Meeting my own needs. There's a problem with that, and it's going to be addressed in this passage. And also the problem of wrathful judgment. Some of us struggle so much with this idea that God could be angry. That God could be angry. That he does have an anger. And it in our minds, we say God, God can't have an anger or doesn't have an anger, and he certainly would not unleash it on his special creation. Special creation. Um, and lastly, these are just things that came up in my mind as I was studying this passage, the problem of the priority of a soul right with God. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, it's gone on here in the, the sanctuary already. You say, so what's going on? And, and many of us respond real quickly, oh, super busy, crazy busy. Oh, you're busy? Yeah, oh, man, just so, so many things doing. You, you start thinking, and you, go, and, you know, uh, I, I don't know, I think Rob said we li- live in a crazy world, or Zach did. And I say that all the time because I don't want to talk about the details of what's really going on. I just put it in a bucket of crazy, right? Uh, um, some of us live in the bucket of crazy. Anyways, uh, but the problem of the priority of our soul right with God. We say there's so much going on. Oh, my job, it's crazy busy right now. Oh, my family, so much is going on. Do you know it's little league season and we got practice two, three times a week and we're going to the batting cage and we got opening day and this and that. Uh, we, we have these things going on. And did you know there's a deadly coronavirus happening at the same time? Did you know? If you didn't know, you should watch the news more. Um, There's a deadly coronavirus going on. And and you know what? There's also some things, maybe World War III starting, right? Little League and World War III. There's truckers everywhere in Canada and America. And and they're they're doing these convoys and uh, 
parking their trucks and stuff like that. That's so genius, by the way. The idea of just parking your truck. What are you going to do? Some of you do that on the parking lot, you know. Uh, bring your big old doolies and you just park wherever you want. Canadian and American truckers, war with China, war with China. Some of you have played a few dominoes out, right? And you, you see what's going on with Russia and you realize that there could be stuff happening in uh, China as well. Um, maybe that's next week, I don't know. Maybe others of you are incredibly wound up and busy that the Tehachapi Unified School District has closed the school's for a couple of days for no reason at all and are still masking our kids. And you say, man, just so much going on. So much going on. I don't have time to think about my soul right with a holy God. And this morning, as we look to God's word, we're going to answer some of these problems and hopefully they'll put into perspective what is truly going on, and what is, should be a priority as we live this life. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from verse 6 down through verse 16 in Romans chapter 2. God's word says this, that he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are uh, self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Uh, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, uh, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the uh, hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For uh, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, verse 16, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Uh, Help us to understand it now. Uh, Keep us from error in speaking or listening or understanding. Clarify in us uh, the priority of our soul right with you. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse six, verses 6 through 10, we see the judgment. And when we think of judgment, it's, oh, it bothers us so much. Uh, one of the favorite things that uh, people say today is, oh, you're just judging. You're just judging. You shouldn't be judging, you know. Um, and what they're saying is, back off. Back off. 
Um, and we might say that, right? Oh, they're just judgmental. They're just judgmental. I, I want to tell you that um, Proverbs, it says, the wicked man flees though no one pursues, right? Uh, if you feel guilty, if you like, just think through. A- am I guilty? If you're not guilty, let them talk. <laughs> Give them a glass of water so they can talk some more. But it shouldn't bother your soul. You shouldn't head off running if you're, you're, you're right with God. Uh, it, it also goes on to say that the righteous are as bold as a lion, right? And we don't have to fear the judgment of men. But this, this idea in this passage is not talking about the judgment of men. It's talking about the judgment of God. That God's going to work these things out that each one is accountable. So we see the judgment in verses 6 through 10. And it says, it starts off with this in verse 6, very clearly, he will render to each one according to his works. Now, uh, we're going to struggle with this, and this is one of those passages, as is James, where it talks about faith without works and uh, dead works and good works and how those come together. But in this passage, it shows us what we can see, what we can see. And what can we see is the product of one's life. What goes on in their life? I, I always like to equate this to a blood test, to do blood work. Why do they take uh, a blood test? And some of you are cynical and you're thinking, to make more money. Um, but um, probably true. But, but what can they see in the blood? They can see what's wrong, right? They can see how healthy your blood is and if it's got too much of this or too much of that or, or if it shows infection and, and, and these are the things. And, and you can't study or cheat a blood test. It's just there. And the test for us or the, the inspection that we can see in Romans chapter 2, other places as well throughout the scripture, is our works what come out of our lives, the things that we do. So as we see this in verse 6, the judgment is based upon what we have done or what comes out of our life. I want to say what we have done, but it's better to say it in a sense of what comes out of our lives. What comes out? Not when the the spotlight's on, right? Um, It's what do we look like when the spotlight is off, what are the thoughts of our mind? What are the things done in private? What are the things that we are saying in our minds, but maybe we have enough discipline to not let come out of our mouths? What is going on in our hearts, and what is that producing in our lives? It says in verse 6, each one, okay? This isn't a collective project. This isn't Bear Valley Church. This isn't American church. This isn't your family. It's you as an individual. It's interesting, uh, as most of us, we find comfort in people. We have a squad or a spouse or a bunch of friends or maybe, maybe it's our siblings. And we kind of hide behind them. And we like to be thought of as a group. But this is not a group. And as we look at this passage, it's you alone before a holy God, you alone. And it says here that, that there will be judgment for each one according to their works and according to what they have done. Verse 7, uh, it, it's 
couple of different, it says this two different ways, uh, uh, one group and then another group, but one individual or another individual, probably better to say. Verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. I, I want you to uh, wor- work on this in your mind, but, but this is the life that follows after Jesus, the life that follows after Jesus. And the life that follows after Jesus, what does it look like? Patient and well-doing. Uh, interesting he says the word patient there because uh, a lot of well-doing, um, it takes a while, right? It takes a while. And, and there's not a sense of uh, immediate gratification in doing what's right most of the time. Uh, as we follow after God, many times, many times, uh, it seems unproductive to do what God wants us to do. And when I say unproductive, it's like it, it doesn't work. It's, it's kind of like spanking a two-year-old. Just a little parenting tip in here, right? Some of you, some of you say, well, it doesn't work. I did it once and it didn't work. They threw a tantrum just a half hour later. <laughs> Round two. Disciplined, disciplined is not something of immediate gratification or even the idea that when they're three, by the time they're four, they're going to be perfect. It's the idea that this is God's method. This is God's word. It's the idea that we trust him. It's we're patient in well-doing. And it's the idea that we give and we sacrifice and we limit ourselves. Why? Because God's called us to. That we that we have different values. Why? Not because they fit into our selfish life. We have different values because, because God shared them with us. And he said, this is my way. And so for us as God's people, we're like, what is his way? I want to follow his way. And what does that lead to? As you look at this, it's a path. It's something that we as God's people should be doing. To those who by patient well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, what is that? He will give eternal life. He will give. I want to tell you that even in language that's talking about the product of one's life, it's a gift. It's a gift. That God's the giver of eternal life. Don't get confused. Don't get confused. This is not, we earn our way to heaven. Um, I want to tell you that we'd have too far to go from where we're sitting if we were to earn our way to heaven. We wouldn't even be able to see it from our best works that we could accomplish cumulatively. Okay? That's a math problem. Uh. Glory and honor, immortality. He will give eternal life. It's a, it's a gift he's given. And he's going to do this uh, later on in the book of Romans. We're going to see this over and over again. Why is salvation a gift? Well, it's the gospel. It's a gift from God. God gave his son that we might receive the gift of salvation. And the transformation of a life that would follow after him and that would produce good works. In verse 8. So there's some, there's some that uh, they are ones who are followers of Jesus. They receive eternal life. And then down in verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 
Those are the rejectors. We've looked at this in the book of Romans already in chapter 1 and 2. What happens to the rejectors? They're left on their own. And what happens out of the life left on their own is more sin and more sin and more wickedness and more disaster and more chaos. And he says to that group, those rejectors, verse 8, for those, he says, uh, they will experience wrath and fury. How does he describe them? Self, self. I I got back to that, remember I talked to you earlier about selfish living, right? The problem of selfish living. Sometimes we uh, try to hide that selfish living in, I'm just self-sufficient. You know, I, I, I work really hard to take care of myself, that I wouldn't be a burden on anybody else. You know, I, I work really hard so I can get what I want and nobody else has to get it for me. Yeah? Selfish living. Selfish living. Those who are self-seeking. Um, and, and I just want to encourage you about the, these things. Even if, even if our whole country, our politics, our culture says that it's great to be selfish, we should recognize that as something that is not from God. It's from the devil. And as we look at this, these are, uh, uh, when we are selfish, when we are selfish, we should say, where does that come from? What is that indicative of? It's me rejecting God. When I'm selfish, I'm rejecting God. And so for us, we should be very keen and and, um, really thinking through our lives and our decisions. Are they just self-seeking? Because self-seeking people, what does it say they do? Verse 8, they do not obey the truth. Why? Because God is saying, this is what you should do. And selfish people say, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. They say, well, this is the plan of God. You say, I have my own plan. I have my own plan. That's why we've talked about over and over again, asking the question, what does God want you to do? What does God want you to do? And some of us, we muddy that question with, well, I want to do this, so God probably wants what I want, right? He, you know, I I just think that God would see my point of view here, and uh, he'd take some advice from me, and I would be able to do this, get this, move here, get this job, Pursue this activity. This is what God wants because it's what I want. I want to tell you that's self-seeking. And self-seeking, what happens is we do not obey the truth. Why? Because that truth gives us a plan and we say, no, no, no. I have my own plan. I have my own plan. And what happens? Uh, They obey unrighteousness. And the, the picture there is the acts of their life are unrighteous. They're not right in the eyes of God. Why? Because they didn't obey his truth, which would have produced righteousness. They obeyed their selfishness, which produces, no matter what it produces, it is unrighteous. It is wrong in the eyes of God. So what happens? What do they get? Wrath and fury of God. God's judgment comes upon them, those who reject him. That should stand out in our minds, and this is a a few times 
Paul's already said this idea of wrath in the first couple of chapters, and I, I want you to get that church is this, that, that God's not looking at humanity right now, and he goes, man, I'm just so happy with them and pleased with them, and there's just a few little things uh, that are out of whack here. He's, he's saying all, 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 and he's going to say it again here, and this idea that all of us are sinners. All of us are ones that uh, deserve judgment, and I do have a judgment, God says. God's wrath and fury. Um, and in our culture today, you know, there's country songs that talk about this, and other people describe this, and they, they say things that they think are cute, and they say, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'd rather party in hell. I'd rather party in hell. Like they could party in hell. Like, like there's like a party room in hell, and they're going to go to the party room, Right? And as we look at the scripture, as we look at uh, the judgment of God, know this, that nothing we can find on the face of this earth is as bad as the punishment that God will give to those who have rejected him. And so for us to joke about that, or, or even to uh, suggest that you can do your own thing and be okay, I want to tell you that's... Um, Incorrect. It's not true. It's, it's not a reality. We move on. Verses 9 through 10, he reiterates that same thing. It's this idea of evil and good. He says in verse 9, uh, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. Uh, verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. And the picture here is this, and, and most people see in chapter 1 that he's talking about all people or specifically the Gentiles, I don't know, uh, this, this idea of all sinners, those who don't know, those who have never heard, and all people are guilty, and now he's transitioning to maybe most of the people that he's sp- speaking to, those Jews who say this, I'm special, <laughs> I'm special, God would never judge me. God would, you know, I'm part of his special people. Do you know the lineage that I come from and like, you know, what, what sacrifices I keep and these things? And he's going to talk about this further. But he says, there will be tribulation and distress on every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. And so the, the picture here is this. We're going to get to this a little bit more is, is this. That the Jews had a special relationship with God. And so there's, uh, they saw the plan. They had the info. They had the details. And so there's a, greater, there's a greater rejection for the Jews. So they get to be the first ones to be judged. Why? Because there's been a greater judgment for them. But, but it's not a matter of does one group get more or the other. It's just both. The Jew first and then also the Greek. The Greeks wouldn't have known about the scripture. They wouldn't have known about the plan of God. They weren't raised in it. They, they were unfamiliar. And there's yet, there's judgment for them as well. Um, the Jew and the Greek, judgment, but also not uh, just judgment, verse 10, uh, this idea of blessing as well and peace that comes from God. In verse uh, 
11, and I start a new point here, the judge's partiality. And I say judge's partiality because there's no partiality. Um, I, I think that sometimes in, in the Jew's mind and maybe in the church's mind today is that because you have been a part of a church, there's some special relationship that you have with God in a sense of just being here. That it doesn't equate with your trusting in Jesus and uh, the fruits that come out of that. Verse 11 says this, For God shows no partiality. He's an impartial judge. And, and as we look at that, that may cause fear in you. It should not. It should not. It should cause your heart to rejoice. A crooked judge, right? A crooked judge. Do you want a crooked judge? And you're saying, well, it depends. Am I guilty or not? Do I have the money? Can I, can I somehow manipulate him? I want to tell you this passage in the chapter is a righteous judge that comes. A righteous judge. He's impartial. He doesn't uh, look at any human soul and say, you're better than another. Or I won't judge you, but I will judge you uh, because of some you know, outward appearance or some kind of family you're a part of. Verse 12, he goes on to explain, for all who have sinned without the law. And I want you to get this. He, he's going to take these two groups of people, right? Those who have the law, Jews, and those who don't have the law, Gentiles or Greeks. Uh, this is what he says, verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Sin without the law, perish without the law, okay? And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And what he's describing here is just this. There's sinners who have the law, but there's sinners who don't have the law. And all the same, they're guilty either without the law or under the law. And he'll describe why uh, those who don't have the law are still. Uh, as, As we go on, verse 13 Uh, For it is not the hearers of the law who are justified before God, but the doers of the law uh, who will be justified. Once again, that concept of doers of the law, meaning that those who know what God wants them to do and and they follow after him, what does that produce? Works, right? The change of heart, uh, the following after Jesus produces works in the life of the one who trusts and follows him. Um. Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though uh, they do not have the law. Uh, We talked about this already. Verse 15, uh, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse uh, them. As as you think about this, Remember again, those who don't have the scriptures, who don't know what God says, what do we know about them? They know. They know right and wrong. And and you say, oh, I don't know if they do. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Everyone knows right and wrong. And you say, well, there's different cultures where, I know, I know. But even in those cultures, You will see those fingerprints. We've talked about this already. Made in the image and likeness of God, right? And so what does it say in that creation? That the law, God's law, is written on their hearts 
and it connects the conscience, and the conscience bears witness, and it does one of two things. It says, you're doing what the God who created you wants, or I'm not doing what the God who created me wants, and I'm guilty, and I'm guilty. Um, It's interesting that in cultures who don't have the scripture, who've never heard of Jesus Christ, they know about guilt. (laughs) They know about guilt. And you say, why is that fascinating? Well, if you don't have the Bible, if you don't know about Jesus, that he came to die for sinners who have have, uh, sinned and now have guilt, why? Why would they already feel that way? Well, because it's written on their hearts in creation, in being created. It's written on their hearts. They know right and wrong. Verse 16, I want to get to this. This is where it all comes together, I feel, in this passage. You have those who are, are, are guilty, who have known the law, or known what God thinks. You have those who are guilty that uh, haven't known the law, but they know enough and they're guilty. Um, and so, so what do you see in verse 16? You see in verse 16 that it's all about Jesus. And I say all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus Christ, Right? It's not just Jesus, the man, the boy that grew up to be the man. It's the crucified Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the Old Testament. That one, it's all about him. Verse 16 says, on that day, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Verse 16 tells us this, that there's a day coming. There's a day coming. Not World War III. It's not a, a nuclear bomb. It's not a bad government. It's not a bad job. It's not a bad marriage. It's not bad sickness. It's not something like that. It's a day coming. A day of judgment. On that day. On that day. And, and Paul says there's a day coming... God's going to judge. On that day, on that day, according to my gospel, Paul says something very uh, um, unique here, that he, he refers to the message of Jesus, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that we trust in his work, his finished work on the cross. He, he points to that message, and he says, it's my gospel. Now, what he's not saying is this. I put this story together. I got this little trick. I'm kind of a self-help guy. And I got this method that no one's ever figured out. It's a message that I created. And it's for you. That's not what he's saying. As we look at the life of Paul, he did not share a gospel, a good news message, the message of Jesus. He did not share a good news message different than the one he had personally received. He'd been changed by the message of Jesus, and now it, it was his story. It was his method. It was his message. It was his preaching. It was the thing that he wanted to share. Why? Because what God had already done in him, he realized that was now the central point of life for his hearers, my gospel. There's a day coming. According to my gospel, this gospel that I believe in and walk in, 
God is going to judge. And, and I, I, I want to clarify for you the problems that we talked about earlier. Nothing matters apart from you understanding where you sit and where you stand before a holy God. It's the most important thing. Who cares about Little League? Who cares? Who cares about your finances? Who cares about your job? Who cares about World War III? Nuclear bombs, missiles, whatever else they got. Bioweapons. Who cares? Apart from knowing that you're right before a holy God. I'll come back to this. Um, What he says, God judges what? The secrets of men's hearts. This idea, this secrets inside of men. And you go, what are the secrets? Well, it's the truth. It's the truth. It's the idea of this idea that somehow men and women can hide in their heart, in their person, who they truly are. And, and what you need to know about the judge is he won't be fooled. He won't be fooled. And, and I think it's hard for us to imagine because we realize that we can fool anybody else, right? We can uh, uh, act a certain way, dress a certain way, talk a certain way, especially I think of the talking piece and makes me crazy as a preacher when you realize that much of sales is being disingenuous about products so you can get a sale. And that how often, even as preachers, we are either tempted or trained to do that. And it's this idea of hiding what's, what's really real and somehow we can cover it up. And we think about that and we go, I'm just not going to open my mouth and then they won't know. I'll say this, and it'll get them away from this over here. The secrets of men, God will judge those accurately. He will be able to see even things that we have forgotten and cannot see. And what will he, how will he judge by Christ Jesus? When you think of this, um, the standard or the rule or the one that's, critical in this is Christ Jesus, the Savior. His perfection, his perfection first of all, but also his death, burial, and resurrection. That this is what uh, will come into the mix and this will be the the standard by which uh, we are judged. I think that so often we... uh, we think that somehow God's going to adjust because of the company I kept, because of our generation. And this idea that there's going to be 12 of us standing before a holy God and he's going to say, okay, get in order here. Okay, you're down at the end. You're awful. You're gone. But I just got to take that top three or whatever and we're going to rank you in here. And somehow you, and you're going, I like this because I'm better than them. And, like, and you're, you're looking around the room and you're ranking yourself and you're adjusting your score based on the curve. And I want to tell you, there's nothing in scripture about that. Nothing. The, the, the standard or the 
is perfection based on Jesus. Based on Jesus. Well, let me give you some simple thoughts to put this in perspective. I know it's intense. I know that uh, if you add this with what's going on in the world, and, and I realize that some of you came this morning even, uh, you go, oh, we really should go to church in case the world's not here next week. Uh, I want to get that last time in. I want to get that last one in. Or, or maybe you're feeling crazy. Did you hear me talk to your kids about you being crazy? Uh, I wanted, to, wanted you to hear that. I wanted you to hear that. I feel crazy. Um, I feel unsettled about the future. Listen, listen, there's some simple thoughts that should guide us. And from this passage, let me give them to you. There's three because I always have three. Um, I want you to ask the question, what do you know? What do you know? What do you know is coming? What do you know is coming? And you go, well, you know, what are you asking? I think that Ukraine's going to fall, Russia's going to take over, and then they're going to maybe even push out their borders beyond that. No, I think Ukraine is going to be able to resist them, and the West is going to come, and we're going to save them. And, but then China, like you're, you're planning these things out. Well, how, mu- how much longer are we going to last? Well, I think it's going to be 30 years. No, I think it's going to be this. No, I think it's going to be that. And, and what that means is you don't know anything. You don't know anything. Let, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. Because we know the eternal word of God. We know the eternal word of God. You know that all men are going to face judgment. That's what you know. That's what you know. And so as you look at the world, as you look at your life, as you see things, you go, I know this. There's a judge and all men will face judgment. Second thing, simple thoughts. Ask a question. Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to meet your maker? I I didn't want to say it that way because it kind of of sounds like a Western movie or something like that. Yeah, are you ready to meet your maker? Um, I I say meet your maker because this passage, chapter one, it's all about creation, right? It's that he created us and he created us for him. And then it's connected that we would follow after him, knowing that, and that we would have peace and eternal life coming from our maker. And this idea of you being ready for the judgment, I I, want to say this. Our response should be, are you ready to meet your maker? Yes, and excited. Yes, and excited. And and some of you are doing the math right now, and you say, wait a minute. Because I feel guilty, I've done all this sin. How would you feel, you know, when you feel guilty and have all this sin, how would you be excited about the judge coming and meeting your maker? How, why? Well, that's the whole book of Romans, to be right with him, to be right with him. And the only way we can be excited about meeting our maker is to know that our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not us being good enough. We are not good enough. It's clear. We have a rap sheet a mile long. And it shows that we're guilty. But God sent his son, Jesus. And then as we look at the simple thought to to really focus in, in the midst of all that's going on, and I think you should go to Little League, especially if you're a grandparent, and you should cheer and think that your grandson's the best or whatever. I think that, you know, stuff at the school, you know, I'm way in on it. I'm, I'm with you. 
uh, stuff in the world. It's, it is crazy and things could happen and like I'm with you on all those things. But all that matters, all that truly matters is the gospel, is the gospel, the message of Jesus, that it's your gospel, that you can say with Paul, my gospel, my gospel, my good news message is what? It's Christ Jesus. What he did on the cross for me, what he did on the cross for all who will believe. God, thank you for this time that we could have together. And God, I know that these are heavy times and that our minds can run. I pray that we would uh, first be settled in our soul before you. God, we thank you for the gospel, that you loved us so much that you sent your son that as we believe in him, what he did on the cross, his resurrection, that we would have eternal life. God, thank you for loving us that much. God, I pray for your church uh, as a whole, but also for the individuals here today, that they would know uh, what comes next, not in the news, but uh, in your agenda, to bring us home to be with you forever. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.